Welcome to Loop Me In, the podcast community for parents and carers on raising children with disabilities. Join presenters Dr. Lisa Interlegi and Christine Christopoulos and their guests in sharing experiences, information and support ideas to help children with disabilities flourish. Loop Me In is brought to you weekly on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher to name a few. You can learn more, connect to the Loop Me In community and listen to more episodes on our website, loop-me-in.com.au. Welcome back to Loop Me In. Today we speak with Dr. Annie Bambury. She's the head of the clinical research of CoView. It's an engagement platform that enables providers to deliver care virtually. Welcome, Annie, to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Chris and Lisa. I think I've said it right, CoView, is that correct? CoView, that's right, as in both seeing something together, (laughs) co-viewing. Excellent. Now tell me a little bit about it. So CoView is a virtual care platform and it originated actually at the CSIRO. Our founders, um, Nathan and Sylvia, developed the platform there and it was then spun out into a commercial organisation. So we started our life as a startup and now we are growing and growing exponentially because COVID has really increased the use of virtual care or telehealth care, whichever way you want to call it. And we have had some tremendous growth. I think it's something like 6,000% growth over the last couple of years. Wow. Do you think that's continued because it's so successful? Like obviously now we're not in any type of lockdown. Do you think that's why people are continuing it? Well, I think what COVID did, it accelerated use or clinicians' understanding of how virtual care platforms can be used to deliver care overnight. So it forced many clinicians and it perhaps forced many, let's call them patients, consumers, let's call them consumers, to use telehealth for the first time. And, you know, there's lots of advantages for using telehealth. And so these kind of hybrid models have now been kept. The idea that you have some appointments in person and some appointments virtually, depending on the type of consultation that you need to have. Those are the models that we're seeing more and more increasingly being utilised in the healthcare environment. It's amazing, isn't it? Because I think telehealth has been talked about for, gosh, a long time. I remember working in the IT industry and it was kind of one of the benefits that internet would deliver was, was telehealth, particularly in Australia because we're so big. But it's taken probably till now for it to be, I guess, accepted and used to its potential, really. Yeah, you're definitely right, Lisa. So I think prior to COVID, there was use of telehealth, particularly in sort of rural and regional areas, definitely the rural and remote areas, and definitely in states like Queensland, which has a very dispersed population, so not so concentrated on those major metropolitan areas. But now, as we've said, it has forced people or forced clinicians, everyone, to use it for the first time. And there are advantages for using it in metropolitan areas. I mean, we all know how long it can take to to get to appointments, how costly car parking can be, the strain on people to go, whether that's from their own physical comfort or just psychologically not feeling like they can do that today, 
or whether from it's a parent's point of view where I've got to take one child and I have two other children to go and many of us have been there it's stressful so yeah something can be used wherever you live but obviously the advantages in regional and rural areas are huge because that distance to traveling to appointments is quite concerning. Yeah, because you recently did an article regarding the rural areas and how they're not using their NDIS as well as other areas, up to 30% of their funding, which is crazy, isn't it? And that's obviously because there's A, no one around and B, probably really hard for families to drive around trying to find a good allied health supporter. Yeah, I mean, you're completely right, Chris. This is, you know, you can go on the NDIS and... data website and actually it will show you which areas have got what they call underspend of participant funds and in some areas I think in South Australia it's up to 58% I mean enormous amounts and there'll be a variety of complex reasons why that's there but we do know that in regional areas there's a complete lack of allied health professionals to be able to deliver care you may have a particular need that is not delivered by the allied health person in the allied health clinician in your area for example you have an issue that can't be just done by any physio or any psychologist and that one's not accessible to you in your locality and there is this issue where it means if they are only being offered if consumers are only ever being offered an in-person appointment there might be significant traveling to Mm. take place and we also know the wait list for some allied health professionals are just extraordinary. Um, OTs, speech therapists, um, we hear it all the time. So yeah, telehealth has a, a real role to play in those regional areas. And we had a forum a couple of weeks ago that spoke to parents about NDIS, particularly in context of COVID and being able to spend their budget. And the result they felt of that was that their plans were funding was being cut if they were underspending. So it's kind of a vicious cycle, isn't it? Yeah, it does seem to be. I think from where I observe, what I find incredibly frustrating is no one's actually talking about how telehealth can be used with consumers. You know, there's a real lack of information there. I have pressed really hard the NDIA. Where's the information for consumers? You know, who is saying to a consumer, you know what, this type of therapy that we need to provide for you or your child is actually possible to do by telehealth and it is as effective as an in-person appointment. And there's lots of evidence in the area of telehealth. Things like speech therapy can be delivered by telehealth, physiotherapy, education. But no one's having those conversations, whether it be a planner, whether it be the case manager. And it's not actually being developed for consumers to be able to read and to make that informed decision. Yeah, I agree. I saw in lockdown that we used the psychiatrist a lot for Matthew over Zoom. And we also did a lot of um, speech therapy, which you can't imagine that a child with autism will sit in front of the computer, but they kind of just learn to get used to it as the same way we all did as well. Yeah. So our platform that we use, it's been specifically designed for the healthcare environment. So we have a lot of what we call clinical tools that are integrated into our platform. 
So assessments, perhaps that being done by psychologists, they're all integrated in. So both the consumer or the participant in an NDIS case and the clinician can see those questions together and they can fill in those assessments together. There's lots of assessments that require the participant to view something like stimulus books, often Pearson assessments, a lot of our listeners may have taken part in those assessments. We have them all integrated into the platform. And then on top of that, we have things like drag and drop games that clinicians can use to keep children engaged in the therapy process. So we're really passionate about building a platform that is just for healthcare that makes it the highest possible consultation for both clinicians and consumers. And for kids that are like Louie, who has had anxiety in the past about going into medical context, being over his iPad or something is really helpful because he doesn't have to deal with the anxiety, which, you know, often can be detrimental to the therapy. Yeah. So my own research, so I am a researcher, you know, I'm an active researcher as well. And I did a, my PhD in telehealth and particularly around the use of groups via telehealth to support older people with chronic disease. And what we found in the groups that I developed the program for was that those participants who had anxiety, depression, they would never have gone to a group. They just said it wouldn't be possible. However, when we did the groups via video conferencing, it actually helped them. It gave them a a sense of safety. Mm. You know, they could actually leave the group if they wanted to. They actually got to know people in the comfort of their own surroundings and not feeling like walking into a room where all these strangers were and that they're having to deal with all those emotions and that anxiety. And over time, this group, I've run many groups over video conferencing, and these groups do connect with each other. And we're able to bring people from large distances together. So I think at the beginning of the program, Chris, you mentioned that, you know, the biggest support to you has been, Lisa, in your journey with parenting. And I passionately believe that bringing people together to talk about the lived experience Mm really helps with either clinical conditions or social support or and how to deal with the you know the conditions they're dealing with now sometimes it's really nice to bring together people who are not in your area Mm. you know particularly if you live in rural or regional areas they're pretty small towns I live in one myself but if you're brought together in a group with people from all over Australia where you have a common problem or a common issue and you develop that trust between the participants, then the participant can really start to feel trustworthy in the group and start talking about issues that they don't have anybody else in their own network to discuss because no one might be facing the same issues that they're facing. So talking with someone who has the lived experience with what the issues they're dealing with is really important. And telehealth can help with that. So do the service providers, how does a consumer use CoView? Explain to us, can you find service providers on your platform? We don't really have a directory. Um, CoView is used throughout Australia. We are the the back end of health direct video calls. So some people might be already experiencing, you know, have experience with using that. But clinicians join up to use CoView in in their practice. 
But my own research has told me, you know, a lot of clinicians don't think about offering the telehealth to consumers. And I really urge consumers to say, hey, I'd really like to do some of these appointments by telehealth. I think that would really work for my family. There are times when, you know, my child has anxiety or there are times I just cannot get them to an appointment. And I was talking with someone the other day who mentioned her child was on the NDIS that there are numerous appointments that she does have to cancel Mm. because she can't get there. But she mentioned to me that those appointments still come out of her budget. So what you've actually got is a situation where, you know, the consumer isn't able to go to the in-person appointment, but the cost is still being taken away. So maybe there's an opportunity there to say to the consumer, hey, I can't come, uh, the clinician, I can't come but I would like a telehealth appointment instead. Now, in some of those professions, those disciplines, like a psychology appointment, you know, there's very little difference to doing it in a room. (laughs) You know, in fact, you know, there are definite advantages to doing it in home. So I do really urge the consumers to say to their clinicians, I'd really like to do this by telehealth. Mm. And what would you like NDIS to do? Because it seems like they have a bit of a role as well Mm. if they know that, there's an issue with underspending due to access and other issues, as you explained, then there should be a viable opportunity to for people to access their services and not just burn money by being charged for something they can't attend. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it seems to be a little bit of a football between the NDIA or the NDIS and the clinicians that are providing, because when I've spoken, I have spoken to NDIS People, they say, yeah, but that's a clinical decision. So therefore, it's up to the clinicians to decide whether that's an appropriate consultation. But there's some guidelines. There are definitely clinicians out there who, A, haven't been trained in telehealth well, and B, you know, it's not always in the forefront of their mind to say, would you like it by telehealth? Because clinicians can make an assumption as to who can use telehealth and who can't, which we know from the research not always correct clinicians have to learn to use a different tool in their clinical care and And, that's the issue what about the role of the colleges or the Australian Psychological Society or the Royal Australian College of GPs do they engage with their members to try and give them that education well some have done like the psychologists have done some fact sheets I don't think any of them have really been tailored to the NDIS sector and I think that's the bit that's missing for me. I would really like to see the professional bodies do some work around, okay, for the NDIS, I would like to have information and training for the consumers and the clinicians. And we'd love to see that. And we'd be really love to work with people about it. You know, there's lots of evidence, peer-reviewed evidence, published evidence around how telehealth can be used and for what type of consultations and in what circumstances. And it's about getting that information to those clinicians as well as consumers. And they're two different types of information, but definitely the professional bodies do have a role to play. Yes, Lisa. And I think it also helps, like you mentioned before, in those rural areas where it's hard enough in CBD of Melbourne to get a speech therapist or an appointment with a psych. I can only imagine in your research what you've found in those regions of Queensland and far there wouldn't even be anything around there for them to go to, would there? 
Now, I did meet a quite a senior NDIS person who had been out in Queensland and, you know, he said he'd been to these engagement meetings with community members and, you know, they were cross. You know, I said, I've got this money, but I can't spend it anywhere, you know. So there's lots of strategies to help with that and telehealth is one strategy. That's what we would say. You know, there's it's not the answer to everything, but it's certainly a strategy that should be explored better than what it's currently being explored. And how did you get yourself involved with this, Annie? In terms of working in telehealth? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I've been a researcher for quite a while and my passion is around the implementation of telehealth, specifically groups. I think before this, I'd actually been working with carers of people with dementia. So probably like some of the NDIS participants, you know, if they are a carer and it can be very difficult to get out and there's complete stresses on carers, it's developing these groups virtually that I was really keen to do because I think you know, as we've already discussed, how important it is to bring people together. And I happened to meet our founder, Sylvia Pfeiffer, at a conference and we started chatting and it was probably about a year before COVID happened. And then when COVID happened, the acceleration of the use of CoView was enormous. And it was at that point, I was offered the opportunity to come on board. And it's a different avenue. It's a technology company. And I'm really passionate, and Coview is passionate, about creating technology that really meets the end user's needs. And I see that both as what the clinician needs and what the consumer needs. You know, I work on projects. um, We're doing some AI digital tools at the moment for wound care analysis, which I know is an issue with the NDIS as well. We're also developing, we're just about to bring to market, an AI tool to help with range of motion And all of these AI tools are not to take away clinical decision-making from a clinician. They're actually to help them make better clinical decisions. Mm -hmm. So we just give them metrics that mean that they're not as subjective, you know, so that the range of motion, you have an operation and you can say, okay, the angle now is 60%, 60% that I can lift my arm up from. Or in a wound analysis, we can see that over time your wound has decreased in size and the tissues indicate that actually it's healing. So it's all about helping them, the clinicians say, okay, now what will be my next decision as to how the treatment moves forward? Oh, sounds fascinating. Mm. And I think think it's what you said before. I know myself lately I've been encouraging Matthew's therapist to do telehealth. I just find it's very difficult to always take him there, especially when it's, you know, an OT or a speech. He's not that excited to go. So doing it over telehealth has, has really worked for him. And how does he find it? Does he like it? I think in the beginning it was kind of confusing, but yeah, now he's. I, I think he gets a lot out of it just as much as he would if we were in the room with the therapist, yeah. Yeah, and I think there is, when you change anything, even a clinician changing how they practice or a consumer using telehealth, you know, you have to give it a bit of a go mm-hmm. and then it's like riding a bike really. You go, okay, this is how it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we found that we did a study recently where we were working with Rolf, our West clinicians, 
delivering speech therapy and OT for preschool children into a childcare centre. Yeah. And, you know, before we started it, the educators at the childcare centre were like, oh, I, I don't really see how this is going to work. But by the end of the two years, it's like, oh, yeah, this is how we do our speech therapy. This is great. We know how it works. We, we know that it does work. So it's just about getting used to a different way or modality. We've had plenty of that, haven't we, over the last couple of years, getting used <laughs> to different things. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so lovely to meet you, Annie. Yeah, likewise, it's been fantastic. And I'm so delighted that a consumer-facing podcast has come out because I do do firmly believe consumers have the right to ask for this type of care. And so I encourage people that if you think it's for you, ask your Mm -hmm. clinician to give it a go. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. Brilliant. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for being part of the Loop Me In community today and joining our conversation on raising children with disabilities. Join us for the next episode on some of your favourite platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you would like to support us, please recommend the Loop Me In podcast to your network of parents, carers and providers. If you would like us to cover a topic or invite a guest to chat, please email us at contact at loop-in.com.au or go to our website at loop-me-in.com.au. If you've got any feedback, please let us know so we can improve and cover issues you want. And of course, if anything in the podcast today has raised concerns for you, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224636 or Lifeline on 131114.